20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What's happening, Packer fans? Welcome back to this co-branded edition of the Pack-A-Day podcast, along with Packers Wire. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. You can follow him, obviously, at Packers Wire, but also on Twitter at Paul underscore Brettel. Paul, it is great to be chatting Packers with you once again. I wish it were under 2-0 circumstances. Unfortunately, it is not. But how the heck have you been? I've been excellent. Always happy to join Andy to talk Packers. And we were very close to having that opportunity to be talking Packers at 2-0. But nonetheless... Uh, plenty to break down. And again, happy to be joining you. Yeah. That's the stake in the heart, right? It's, it's that it was right there. It was like mm-hmm. within reach, within grasp, you could see sort of the lions and the bears crumbling. The Vikings had already lost. And it's like, you're up by 12 in the fourth quarter. And it's just like, Oh, it was right, right there, which makes it all that much more painful. But sometimes the best lessons are learned in these exact sort of situations. And I do think we're going to learn a lot about this young Packers team in week three and how they bounce back from something like that. And we can always say and sit here and be like, you know, it's great that they won the game and they can learn some of the lessons and the mistakes that they made and they still got the win at the end. It just doesn't hit as hard as when you kind of go through something like that, where you get your face punched in, in the fourth quarter on both sides of the ball. And you had a 12 point lead against a team, you know, you can, you can, and probably should beat. And that's a hard lesson, but it's one that is probably taught a lot better when you feel that pain and that sting afterwards. So I'm one of the things I'm most excited for in week three is just seeing how this team responds from that. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, you know, to a degree coming into the season, I think a lot of us expected that, and it doesn't make it easier to digest in the moment, but that there were going to be losses like this for this team. I mean, we can look back and you know, as has been done compared to the 2008 Packers when Aaron Rodgers took over, they went six and 10. I mean, there were a number of one score losses in that season as well. So part of the learning curve that comes with a young quarterback, a young team in general. But uh, like you said, I'm really curious and excited to see how this group responds to it. Uh, It's going to be exciting couple weeks ahead. One of the best parts of this gig for me is that I don't have to listen to myself because I think I was the king of the, these things are going to happen prior to the start of the season, but never really registered it myself. I don't think at some point, because (laughs) um, as much as I said it over and over and over throughout the course of the off season, that there's going to be moments like this, you still get in that moment and you're like, Mm -hmm. I knew I knew there was going to be, but I didn't really want to, I didn't really want to go through it and experience it nonetheless, but I think they'll bounce back. I think it's going to be just fine, but Before we jump into all the different things that we sort of want to dissect with a fine-tooth comb from this game, just your overarching thoughts on week two, anything that now you've had the opportunity to let it sit and marinate a little bit more, anything you feel better about, anything you feel worse about, just anything you want to get off your chest. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, we spend a lot of time uh, diving into what went right and what went wrong for the Packers. But from the Packers' defensive perspective, I just want to throw out there that you know, the Falcons had a really, really good game plan. Again, that doesn't excuse, you know, you know, Joe Barry maybe not being more aggressive at times or the missed turnover opportunities or the missed tackles that were there. Like the the Packers helped facilitate that comeback. Absolutely. And also the lack of con- complimentary football in the fourth quarter. I mean, three possessions, 10 plays for the offense. I think that totaled just three minutes in time of possession in that game. Again, it's a lot of areas of improvement for this Packers team. But when you have a running back that's just as talented as Bijan Robinson is, sometimes you got to tip your cap to the to the opponent as well. I mean, there were plenty of runs where there were Packers defenders in the area to make a play or at least limit what he was going to pick up, and he just made them miss. I mean, right out the gate, when you know, if we look back at what Atlanta did week one against Carolina, Ritter had only 18 pass attempts. Eight of them weren't even beyond the line of scrimmage, according to PFF's tracking. Only four of them actually traveled more than 10 yards. By halftime of the Packers game, he had already, I think he was either at or had just exceeded that 18 pass attempt mark. They were taking more or pushing the ball more downfield a little bit. So if the Packers thought they were going to zig initially, they zagged out the gate, got them to respect the passing game, at least their willingness to try to attack the Packers in that capacity. You know, with Bijan Robinson, as I mentioned, obviously his talent, but they were running inside with him. They were running outside. By the end of the game, in addition to just being 
gassed because they were on the field so much that defense. It felt like a little bit that they were they were on skates somewhat in terms of not necessarily knowing what was going to come, even if you knew a run play was coming. Is it going outside? Is it going inside? There's just Atlanta, I thought, did a really, really good job with their game plan of throwing a lot at that Packers defense, making it just difficult for them. And one other thing I want to comment on Atlanta is, you know, they play really hard. They play for all 60 minutes. And you can see not just in this Packers game, but you can see that in the Arthur Smith era that's underway for them, uh, you know, going back to last season. So I just wanted to highlight that side of it because, again, I we all spend time looking at what obviously we cover the Packers, what the Packers did right, what the Packers did wrong. But sometimes you got to tip your cap to the opponent. And I thought Atlanta did a nice job against them uh, defensively or their offense did against the Packers defense. I am so glad that you brought this up because this is something I actually dug into a little bit the other day when I was going through my film review, because if you if you watch how Green Bay opens this game defensively, it's interception, field goal, turnover on downs. And Atlanta goes three plays, 16 yards, interception, 15 plays, 67 yards. So they still put a, a really good drive together, but Green Bay bend but don't break, holds to a field goal, totally fine with that. And then you've got an eight play, 42 yard drive. That's turnover on downs. And I got to that point in the game. In fact, I got to that um, that the, the play that has been all over social media where Bajan Robinson makes mm-hmm. everyone miss. Like it, It's just a gorgeous run. But I'm like, man, Green Bay's defense really had been looking kind of good up until that point. And then I kind of realized, oh, and then it hit me when he had that run. It's like they didn't really give the ball to Bijan Robinson up until that point. And this is this is what it was. I know this probably doesn't make for great video slash podcasting, but Desmond Ritter pass, Bijan Robinson for seven, Desmond Ritter pass intercepted, Bijan Robinson for three, Ritter incomplete, Ritter pass, Algier, Algier, Ritter pass incomplete, Ritter pass, Ritter scramble, Ritter pass, Ritter pass, Ritter scramble or run, Ritter pass, Ritter pass, Bijan Robinson for no gain, and then Ritter pass, penalty on Atlanta, field goal, and then you start the turnover on downs drive, Ritter pass, Algier, Ritter, Ritter, then finally Bijan for 19. That's when he, that's when they finally got going. And then after that, uh, he had a pass to Bijan for no game, Algier, Ritter scramble, Ritter incomplete on fourth down. But like there just wasn't that much Bijan Robinson in those first three drives to the point where you're like, thanks. Like we really appreciate that <laughs> because he is so freaking good. And I'm not taking away anything necessarily from Green Bay on those three drives defensively. They got the turnover on the third play, which was huge. Awesome play by Kenny Clark to get the pressure. Razul picks it off. They hold in the red zone really on four plays because you had the awful penalty on Rudy Ford that I didn't think was worthy of being called. And then they held on three consecutive plays, including a handoff to Bijan Robinson in there. And then they get the turnover on downs on the next drive. So Green Bay did its job. But to your point, Atlanta kind of made them have some different things on film. You got some Desmond Ritter runs to the outside. You got a lot of quick plays to the outside and and made Green Bay sort of respect all of that. And then after that point, it was Bijan Robinson time. And he is a special, special dude. And we got to see that firsthand on Sunday. Yeah, it's funny you mention that because in my note taking, as I'm watching the game, I had a bullet point. It was either towards the end of the first or early second that literally just said, where's Bijan? Because yeah. he had just been so absent from the game, as you had highlighted there. And one other note I want to make on the Packers' offensive side of the ball, like the fact that they put up 24 points in just 48 plays, like incredibly efficient, but it felt very uh, feast or famine like. You know, they put yes. together the scoring drive, or it was a quick possession for them. And as the game was unfolding, I thought back to all those training camp practices, and that's kind of what it felt like in that. Like when they move the ball, you know, they have that speed, they have that versatility, those big playability. They they can move the ball. But again, so many young players in experience, like they're in the practices that we watched as well. There are also a lot of long stretches of three, four, five plays where they were only picking up a few yards at a time. So as we were watching that game, it took me back to training camp and just um just because it mirrored that so well where they either move the ball or they really struggled to do so. That's a great point. Yeah, they only had two drives in this game over six plays. Uh, they had a 11 play touchdown drive for 84 yards. They had a 10 play 44 yard field goal drive. In fact, those were back to back drives after the the three and out to begin the game. Um, but yeah, after that, it was the one play kneel down, six play touchdown, four play touchdown, 
three play punt, three play punt, four and out. And that was it for the rest of the game. So um, yeah, they, they struggled to get in any sort of rhythm and we we've dissected the lack of complimentary football probably to, to death at this point, but it just goes to show like, yeah, they can get some of those big plays. They got some of the pass interferences and things like that. But at some point you need to be an offense that has some level of consistency to it. And, you know, to that point, we knew again, this is going to be a younger offense full of young playmakers, a first time starting quarterback, Aaron Jones is going to be sort of your, well, the three, right? David Bakhtiari, Elton Jenkins, Aaron Jones, were going to be your veterans of the group. They don't have any of those three at, you know, by the second half of this game when Elton went down. So they didn't have that and they really couldn't sustain drives after that. And that's going to be something that I think this team deals with. And it's why so many defenses in this league are willing to say like, Hey, we're going to make you go 12 plays, 80 yards. You're not going to get the explosives. You're going to have to go 12 plays, 80, because if you don't get the explosives, we don't think you can go 12 plays, 80. And it takes uh, some teams a very long time, especially these younger teams to figure out how to put those consistent drives together. We saw they actually got some of the big plays in this game, but those long sustained drives are really hard for them. Yeah, hundred percent. And this might come up more later, but when you're not running the ball very well, it certainly doesn't help things either. It certainly does not. Let me ask you this before we move on to a couple of the specific topics we want to get to. Just your overall temperature of the team through two weeks. We've got to unwrap two presents so far. A really fun one with an awesome victory in Chicago against what might be the worst team in football again. Um, We're finding out as we kind of go through. It's only two weeks, but we'll see. And then a competitive but tough loss to the Atlanta Falcons in week two, who are 2-0, and um, but we don't know exactly what they are either. But what's your temperature of this team through two weeks so far? I'm optimistic, and honestly, a lot of it's just tied to Jordan Love's play. I mean, obviously, that was the big question coming into the season. Like, at the end of the year, if they're 7-10, and 6-11, but we know, hey, he's the guy moving forward. He's shown not just enough, but plenty to, to, to back that up. Like, this season's a success in all honesty, at least in, in my viewpoint of it. That's what that's prior. Obviously they want to win games, but priority number one is to find out if Jordan loves your guy moving forward or not. And his play in these two games is, you know, he's continued to build off of what we saw all summer from him, which is that all the pieces to the puzzle that are needed for a successful quarterback are there uh, really good pocket awareness going through uh, his progressions uh, knowing when to fit the ball into a tight window or push it downfield and take what the defense is there get, is given to him. He's done a really good job of uh, protecting the ball. And I know you highlight on Twitter, but there were a couple throws that, man, he that were dimes. And I know they didn't end up as completions, but when your quarterback can throw guys open, like Jordan Love is showing that he can do, like that can just take your offense to to an entirely new level. You know, we, we talk about the Matt LaFleur system and, you know, playing within it and having that create opportunities for you. But when you have that element coupled with someone who can, you know, create on their own when plays are breaking down or ad lib a little bit, if needed, you know, obviously that can take it to a next level. And I'm not comparing Jordan Love to Aaron Rodgers, but that's what they had, you know, during these last few seasons with all their success when you take that type of quarterback with that arm talent and couple it with the Matt LaFleur offense. So again, not making that direct comparison at this time, but that aspect of it, just all the pieces of the puzzle that we've seen from him as a quarterback are there in terms of being successful in this league. And that's what has me the most you know, optimistic and just excited about where they're at through two weeks. There's going to be growing pains. Like we talked about, we knew that there were going to be losses like this and Spoiler alert, probably going to be more like that this season, unfortunately. But that aspect of it, um, just the offense's potential in general. I mean, the versatility, the speed, you know, we I complimented the the Falcons on what they did on offense against this Packers defense. But Matt LaFleur, I thought, uh, dialed up a really, really good game plan as well for the Packers. You know, a lot of the uh, similar concepts in terms of inside, outside, run, pass, mix. Um, so I just, the, the potential that this offense has with what love shown. And again, the speed, the versatility, I'm just optimistic about what I've seen through two games. I'm with you. And especially on the love thing, like the special things that he is doing on the field already in his third start ever in the NFL. Yes. He's had time to sit back and whatever we can talk about that, but sometimes you only get that confidence and that um, even just like the, the chutzpah, for lack of a better term, to like make some of those throws through like playing and the things that he's doing 
at, like in start number three from a high end standpoint, I I don't know that I would have expected that going into the season, especially with the regularity that we've seen some of it through two games. And the I think the the high end has shown out more than I expected it to, and the floor is far higher than I expected mm-hmm. it to be. And now it's just that middle stuff. It's the the consistency of making the layups that are there for him. It's the, you know, down in and down out. Like there were stretches and I think both games where the offense got a little bit stagnant, not all due to Jordan, but there were some times he missed some throws in there as well. So I think it's just that level of consistency that you just want to get taken that one step higher. But when you take a quarterback who has a baseline that is going through his progressions, knows the offense, knows the cadence, knows where everyone is, knows what he's supposed to do and has total command of the entire situation and the upside of a guy who can make spectacular things happen. Now it's like I said, just hitting a couple more of those layups with a bit more consistency and like look the heck out. So Mm -hmm. I still don't know what that ends up being long-term, but I am nothing but optimistic through two weeks. And I do think it's going to continue to improve as he gets more reps in actual regular season action. Now, some team's going to figure something out. He doesn't do well. And then he's going to have to overcome that too. (laughs) We're not crowning anyone in week two, but I'm still extremely optimistic from what I saw. Yeah. hundred percent. And like you see with a lot of inexperienced quarterbacks, you know, the pocket breaks down first instinct is just to take off with Jordan love. He's still looking to try to push the ball downfield. Also just his willingness to, to push the ball downfield in general. I mean, you don't always see that with, again, inexperienced quarterbacks. So obviously he's had the time, as we all know, on the sidelines to learn to develop. But again, those are two other aspects of his game that, to me, go beyond where you, as you mentioned, where you think he would be at considering he's got three NFL starts under his belt. Yeah, you spoke about time on the sidelines for Jordan Love. He also needs time in the pocket. And in the NFL, life comes at you fast. It was just a week ago. We're saying, man, they got... All pro David Bakhtiari back at left tackle, Elton Jenkins at left guard. Yeah, Josh Myers had a tough first week, but if that's your fifth guy, you're still in pretty darn good shape. Runyon was looking good again. Zach Tom looks amazing at right tackle. And you're like, man, they still got Rashid Walker at left tackle. They've got Yash Nyman they can throw in there if anything happens. It felt like this embarrassment of riches that they had along the offensive line. And a week later, it feels a whole heck of a lot different. David Bakhtiari. Who knows? Uh, Who knows? I have no idea. I don't know what happens from here. If this is just like, yep, he's back ready to go Lambeau field week three. And like, we're just going to pretend week two never happened. And we're just moving on. And it's just one week. Like he had in Washington a season ago, or just one week with the knee and the rest of the year, he was fine up until the appendectomy. Or if this is going to be every single week, we are just like, no idea, no idea. So that's a question mark. Elton Jenkins goes down with the, uh, you know, MCL injury. Rasheed Walker, a little bit shaky in his action in this game. I thought Yash Nyman was very shaky in his action in this game. You had Royce Newman having to play at left guard, which Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone was pining for. So this is a very different offensive line going into potentially week three than what we saw coming out of week one. Thoughts on the Packers offensive line and the state of it and how you kind of want to see them basically play and what the depth chart looks like moving forward for them. Yeah, that's a great question. So I got we'll start with the run game because I, I think in pass protection for the most part they've been able to hold their own. But average two point nine, the running backs average two point nine yards per carry against Chicago, just three point one against uh, Atlanta on Sunday. And you know Jordan Love talked about this after the game, and he wasn't just referencing the run game, but just the first down offense in general, which the run game plays a big part in. Yep. But their their inconsistency and inability to pick up, you know decent yardage on those early downs is putting them you know behind the sticks putting them in predictable passing situations Jordan Love said it gives the defense the opportunity to dictate things to get into uh, favorable matchups against the offense and not just with you know no offense wants to be in an obvious passing situation but again first time starting quarterback young pass catchers around him that that element can you know magnify some of the the issues or the struggles that that can occur with that group and you know AJ Dillon uh, Matt Lafleur said he's got to run with better balance. You know his his vision to find what opportunities may be there, um, not always on point either. But the offensive line also isn't generating a, a ton of opportunities for him at all. So it's it's 
you know, it's, it's across the board. And Matt LaFleur said that it's all 11 guys. Like anytime they're running a, a toss play or anything towards the boundaries where they're trying to stretch the defense horizontally, like those plays just aren't working. We've seen nope. AJ Dillon, Emmanuel Wilson. I think Patrick Taylor had one where defenders are just flying in. And again, that's the running back. That's the offensive line, but that's the tight end and the, re- the receivers as well. So they have to absolutely get better in that regard. Like for the overall success of the offense, they have to be able to move the ball on the ground better. And of course, getting Aaron Jones back is going to help with that immensely, just with his ability to find those small running lanes that he's so good at, at, at seeing uh, his ability to create on his own, his explosiveness. But again, the running backs against Chicago, where he obviously played a decent portion of that game, they were still struggling as a whole to find success behind that offensive line play. So that's something that absolutely has to get cleaned up moving forward because there's just that positive or negative trickle-down effect that it's having. But on the flip side, if you're able to move the ground or move the ball on the ground, sets up play action, opens up other opportunities in the passing game. You know, for Matt LaFleur as a play caller, you know, you can really dive into his playbook in terms of what he's going to diagnose. And we talked about how the Packers were off balance going against Atlanta with their run pass mix. Well, the Packers can have that same opportunity to do that to opposing defenses when things are moving well on the ground. So definitely an area that they have to improve upon. Yeah. Matt mentioned the attention to details in those situations as well. And it has to be better all the way around. It's probably one of the single most disappointing aspects of the season so far is just the ability, inability to run the football with any sort of sustained success at all. And there's just guys constantly flying through the line. They can't get to the edge. Like there's nothing really working. They've tried counters. They've tried stretch. They've tried zone. They've tried power. They've tried a little bit of everything and it's just not working. And I mentioned this to, to justice. I mentioned like, I don't know where you want to run behind that an offensive line. That's Rasheed Walker, Royce Newman, Josh Myers, John Runyon, Zach Tom, some good linemen in there, but no, none of them are road graders. None of them are like, yep, I can trust that guy to move the person in front of them. And when you need a third and one in a desperate situation, that's not a great place to be in. So they're going to have to figure that out kind of going into this week. Uh, I'll let you kind of play it out in two scenarios. One where they have Bakhtiari at left tackle and one where they don't have Bakhtiari at left tackle. Who do you think starting for Green Bay this week, left to right? Hello, friends. As many of you know, a few years back, the Milwaukee Bucks were in the NBA Finals, and I desperately wanted to go to Game 6 in Milwaukee to see them win the championship. As you can imagine, prices were insane, and I kept going back and forth with different apps to try and find the cheapest tickets possible. I finally found them, clicked purchase, and of course they were gone. Goodbye Game 6 of the NBA Finals. Now thankfully, the day of the game I was able to find a ticket, but the entire thing was so expensive and way too stressful. I really wish I could have simply used Game Time to alleviate all of the stress and all of the hassle. I've started using Game Time app for purchasing all of my tickets, and I wish I would have done so sooner. From low prices to easy to find tickets to last minute ticket deals, the Game Time app is perfect for all of my ticket needs. Game Time is the place for last minute ticket deals. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and so much more. The game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. Snag the tickets without the stress with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, and use code PACKADAY for $20 off your first purchase. That's code P-A-C-K-A-D-A-Y. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code PACKADAY for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. It's finally football season, which means it's also finally daily fantasy football season. And while I get excited to play daily fantasy every year around this time, I'm even more excited this year because I'll be using prize picks for all my daily fantasy selections. Prize picks is really simple to play. You can make picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. Even better, they offer ultra quick withdrawals to make all your transactions super fast and easy. Also keep an eye out for weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts. My favorite, Taco Tuesday. Each Tuesday, prize picks discount select player projections up to 25% to provide even more value. Before football season ramps up, I've been using prize picks for my MLB and college football picks as I prep for a season of winning in daily fantasy football. The experience has been amazing and it's increased my daily enjoyment of watching Brewers and Badger games. Now, 
It's time to get some Jordan Love entries in prior to this weekend's game. The great thing for me is that they offer Apple Pay, which makes depositing money into my account so incredibly easy. So what are you waiting for? Join me on Prize Picks by going to prizepickscom packaday and use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepickscom packaday using code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy.
That's a great question. We know they got options, but with every option, there seems to be a, an, an opposite end of that. I'll, I'll say, you know, they could go with what they did on Sunday and put Royce Newman in there. But, you know, Royce Newman's role in this team feels like what it was on Sunday. Oh, we got an injury. We need somebody just to get us to the end of the game where we can regroup for a week. Like, that's the role that he should be in. As we've seen, you know, when he's out there for an extended period of time, that's when uh, the – those tends to get taken advantage of. And when Royce Newman is off, he is off. There's really very, seems to be very little in between from him. So there's obviously him at left guard. You know, you could look at it from the perspective of, well, we're, you know, we need to see who we are this season, who we have. Well, you have a top 100 pick that you spent a draft pick on last season. Is, is this an opportunity to see what he can do? And I thought that he was more consistent this summer than what Royce Newman was, but Newman is clearly ahead of Sean Ryan on the, on the depth chart at the moment. But again, the downside to that is if it's not actually ready, you know, you don't, you're already struggling to run the ball. You don't want to put your first time starting quarterback in that situation and pass protection. So then you look at, okay, do we move, Zach Tom over to left guard where he's very capable. And I think from that perspective with the Packers, if it's about getting your best five on the field, that might make sense moving Tom to guard, but he's playing really, really good at right tackle. That's his best position. He's holding up so well there in pass protection. That is that a move you're willing to make? And if you are, okay, is it Yash Nyman over Rashid Walker? Nyman has more reps at right tackle. Walker spent most of his time on the left side. That's where he played basically his entire career at Penn State. And do you keep him there if Bakhtiari is available, even if Bakhtiari is available, just to say, well, just in case, you'll be good to go there. Or Walker's ahead of Nyman on the depth chart. Do you give him the, like, at right tackle? There's just so many different directions that they could really go with this. And, like, I just went through for every decision you make, well, there's a there's a potential downside to it. Um you know, if if I had to guess right now, and I'll be honest, I'm I'm not sure which direction they're going to go. If they stay true to their best five, which is what Matt Lafleur preaches, to me that would be Bakhtiari, Tom Myers, Runyon, and then, I mean, based on what we've seen, Rasheed Walker. But even saying that, I I, I don't know if I believe that. Even saying it, so yeah, <laughs> that's the yeah, best and, I and got. What complicates things is there's a good chance they might not even know until Saturday, mm-hmm. Sunday, if, if Bakhtiari is going to play or not, because like the just nuances of that whole thing. So if I had to guess, and again, this is, we're both just making as best educated guesses as we can possibly do. I think they're going to want to keep the right side of the offensive line the same so that they have something consistent and that they don't have to move around Rashid Walker because if, if Bakhtiari goes, then he's, he's the left tackle. And if he can't, then I think you just keep Walker at left tackle and keep him on the left side. So I think they stay with Zach Tom at right tackle, running at right guard, Myers at center. And then I think if Bakhtiari goes, it's Bakhtiari. If Bakhtiari doesn't go, it's Rashid. And I think they're just going to put the kibosh on the rotation thing. I think they're just going to say Rashid's going to play left tackle if David's not in there. We'll see. I, we'll see. But that's kind of my guess right now. And then I think you just make the decision alone at left guard of, do you mm-hmm. want Royce? Do you want Sean Ryan? I think that's probably it. I don't think there's any real other, like mm-hmm. I toyed with the idea of like, do you try Rashid at left guard just to see if he can maybe make it work? But I think you probably just go with Royce or, or Sean. I say yesterday when I talked to justice, I said, Sean, and now I'm thinking more, I think it might be Roy. So either way, I can play back the clip of which one I was right on. And being like, hey, when I talked to Paul, I said, Sean or uh, Royce and see, I can't even get it straight now, but I'm, I'll say, I think it's going to either be Bakhtiari or Walker, left tackle, Royce at left guard, and then the same center to right, but no idea. We'll see what happens this week. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go. Uh, I want to talk a couple other things a little bit quickly, and then we'll kind of get out of here, but um, thoughts on Luke Musgrave through two weeks, because I think we've seen the talent that he has. I think he, you know, a couple stumbles here and there, but we also see the unadulterated speed that he plays with for the position. Like probably a little bit above average from a blocking standpoint than maybe we were expecting him to be. Um, Still not great, but maybe better than expected. But I don't think like also like just tearing it up, which we all, we all, everyone, literally everyone's like, hey, rookie tight end, you know, buyer beware here. But we also saw just how dynamic he can be are you surprised we haven't seen a little bit more Luke Musgrave at this point, at least from like a game planning standpoint and trying to get the ball in his hands? Or is this kind of what you've expected going into the season? 
I think for the most part, it's what I expected coming into the season. Again, as you laid out, I mean, Matt LaFleur has talked about just the, the difficulty, the transition that comes with the tight end position. And he's he's made the most of, for the most part of his opportunities that has come his way, he made five of his seven receptions. And I think with his ability just over the middle of the field and the Packers now willingness to attack that part, those opportunities are going to grow for him as the as the season goes on, as he gets more acclimated. Um, just to being in the NFL and playing playing that tight end position. But I think in addition, he's someone that just with his size, his speed, he can impact the game, even if the ball's not coming his direction. You know, we Great talked point. about Christian Watson's gravity when he's on offense and when he's on the field and just the additional spacing he creates because defenses are afraid of his speed or the additional defender that even leans his way a little bit towards his route that opens up an opportunity for someone else. You know, Luke Musgrave has that ability to bring that same type of presence to the tight end position and affect the game in a similar capacity as Watson does from that part of the field. Um, So I think he's someone that maybe we're not always going to see him on the stat sheet early on, but again, his, his blocking ability, you know, I know we talked about that last week and and I asked uh, Adam Stenovich and both, and Matt LaFleur about what they had thought about his first game. And they thought that he was aggressive and held up well for the most part, which for a rookie tight end, that's what you're looking for. Someone who's not afraid of the moment, someone who's willing to stick their face mask in there. So that's very, very encouraging to see. But again, like I said, even if he's not showing up on the stat sheet, making a ton of catches, his, his presence alone can help that offense by creating opportunities for others. I'm with you. I'm a little surprised we haven't seen a little bit more like schemed up stuff for Luke, Mm -hmm. just because I think he is, such a dynamic player, although we did see the wheel route in week one um, against Chicago or the, you know, where they leaked him out. But um, I'm a little surprised on that, but I think we also have to remember they got like 40 plays of offense in week two mm-hmm. and it's tough to feature anyone in a, in a game where you only get that many plays. So I think we're going to see more of him, but uh, yeah, I think mostly what, what we've expected so far and we've seen some of the flashes of playmaking, which I think will continue moving forward. So you mentioned Christian Watson just really quick we're going to speak into existence that he's back this week. Once he is back and capable of playing his full complement of snaps thoughts on how you want to see this wide receiver rotation moving forward when he is in there. Cause they've got a lot of different players. How would you kind of put that together when he is back and healthy? I mean, I think obviously him and Dobbs are going to be your primary boundary guys. Jaden Reed has established himself as the slot guy. I think Dontavian Wicks is he's wide receiver four right now. And I think, you know, especially after his performance Sunday and even uh, against the Bears, what he was able to show, even when the ball wasn't coming his direction, that that uh, discrepancy in snap counts between him and Samori Touri is going to really start to separate in that regard. But, you know, I think it flew a little bit under the radar, but it was around 20 or 25 percent of Watson's total snaps last season came from the slot like that, you know, just his ability to create mismatches there, get that speed. Um, inside at that position. So I imagine that's going to continue to be a threat for the Packers this this season as well. And in those instances, I think that's a great opportunity to get Dontavian Wicks on the field, on the boundary with Romeo Dobbs and you know when they're in their 11 personnel and have their three wide receivers on the field. So I think that's a great way to get Wicks into the mix. There, there we go is our slogan. Um, but he's he's so impressive even without the the ball and his route running ability. He's so, you know, he, cause he doesn't have the blazing Christian Watson, Jane Reed speed, but man, his release his route running. He knows how to create separation. And that's why he was in 2021, one of the most efficient downfield targets in all of college football, even though not had necessarily having that blazing speed and right out the gate, you know, that flea flicker, it was to Dontavian Wick stretching the field. So I think that that's how we're going to see things shake out once Watson's back, you know, at that point, with how uh, how much 12 personnel, 21 personnel they play, trying to get the running backs, the tight ends active in the passing game, I'm not sure how many additional snaps there are going to be for a Samori Toure, for a, a Malik Heath to get at that point. There will be some, but I think those are going to be your core four receivers. And then, of course, you're going to have your tight ends and running backs mixed into the passing game as well. Totally agreed. I'm interested to see who's inactive, if it's Malik Heath or if it's Samori Toure and which direction they go there. I think it's Heath, but I could see mm-hmm. them going either way just because Heath is a little bit different than everyone else. And But um, I still think it's probably Heath that's inactive, but uh, I'm with you. It's four guys, and I think the Toure and Heath snaps have to basically stop at that point because all four of the other ones 
are just far too talented. You want Reed Watson and Dobbs on the field, I think as much as possible. And then any snaps that they're not on the field needs to be Dontavian Wicks. He's earned that at this point. He is, he is born to play wide receiver. That is one of the best things you can say about him. Mm -hmm. He knows how to get open. He knows how to separate. That is the name of the game in the NFL. And he is going to get better and better and better as he continues. Like the game's going to slow down for him at some point, the stuff that he is putting on from a release standpoint and at the top of the route is already well advanced for any rookie wide receiver, much less a fifth rounder. Like I said, that's going to get better over time, which is scary to think about. So I am all in on the four wides and just kind of letting the other two mm-hmm. just kind of play special teams or be inactive, whatever it needs to be. Um, another really quick one. Anything we're, we're two weeks in, obviously we're going into week three, any personnel or lineup changes that you'd like to see green Bay, maybe tinker or toy with now that we've seen some players play well, maybe some players play poorly Anything that needs to get changed up, or do you think they pretty much have it right right now? I mean, I think at the running back position, you know, for AJ Dillon, let's let's give Emmanuel Wilson some of some of those touches. Again, he doesn't have to take over running back two at this point, but if we can get him, you know, some additional, even when Aaron Jones is back, obviously some additional touches just to add a little bit more of a dynamic presence to that secondary option. Uh, obviously preseason, I've got to add the caveat, preseason is way different than the regular season, but he showed a uh, really good vision, really good burst. Obviously we know he had the ability to rip off some big runs. So I feel like, especially when the offensive line from a run blocking standpoint, isn't firing on all cylinders like it is, you need someone with a little extra juice, a little extra, you know, ability to create things for themselves, which AJ Dillon just, just doesn't have right now. Um, yeah, so I'd like to see that. I'd like to see Wilson get a few more opportunities. And obviously we would all like to see Aaron Jones get the ball more, but this was something I talked about over the off season. Cause last season, I think the split between the two in terms of snaps, it was pretty close. It was like 54% to 46% Jones to Dylan. And just given the, what Jones can do, like, ideally you want him on the field as much as possible. They're conscious of his snaps. We know that's just a part of the equation, but even if they could get it to like a 60, 40, just if it's five, six extra snaps a game, I know that adds up over the course of a season, but those can be really just in their different, different level of play right now. Those can be really, really impactful snaps. So I, I, I'm not sure if that's going to happen, especially coming off an injury or how the Packers are going to play out the rest of the season for him. And it's and it's an easy thing to say, let's get Jones the ball more. But this goes back to last year as well. Again, if they could just get to like that 60-40 split. Um, one other I'll throw out there, Lucas Van Ness. I think just giving him some additional uh, Enig Bari or Justin Holland snaps. And it's not as if Van Ness isn't seeing the field. It, you know, week one, I think he was out there 35, seven, eight snaps. Like he's, he's seeing a good amount of snaps, but if he can get two or three from each of those players, get again, get him out there an extra five or six, because there's going to be growing pains. We've seen it with him as a pass rusher. Sometimes there doesn't seem to be a, a necessarily plan, a necessary plan of attack in terms of what he's going to do. But man, we saw it on that Justin Fields sack, just the speed, the athleticism, the playmaking ability. And anytime you can have more of that on the field, I think you, you, you're more obviously going to be more willing to go through some of the growing pains. And to that speed element, the Packers are playing a ton of two tight end sets. They've done it all summer. I mean, if we could match Ben Sims with Luke Musgrave out there, I know you're probably losing a little bit of, or you're going to be losing a little bit as a blocker from DeGuara to Sims. But Sims comes to the NFL with a ton of blocking experience from his time at Baylor. And while it wasn't a combine 40 time, it was at his pro day. His 40 was actually faster than Luke Musgraves. Like just from a speed, a mismatch perspective, having those two on the field, again, just a few more snaps a game in terms of grabbing the defenses of tension, the the potential for Matt LaFleur to dial something up. Like I think the 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 just gives a bigger home run ability. Uh, for this offense. So those are a few, few uh, players that came to mind for me. Paul, our minds have merged into one. My list is literally <laughs> number one, Ben Sims and Tucker craft over Josiah DeGuara. I want to see those guys get a, the, the younger guys with a little bit more juice, get more playing time. 
Number two on my list, more LVN. Number three on my list, the running back position. I want to see those snaps dialed up a little bit more. So we were like, literally I had three on my list and the three you uh, hit on every single one of them. So save me a lot of time, effort and energy by explaining all of them because you did it so perfectly. So uh, thank you. But no, we are in a million percent lockstep there. Those are all the three. I didn't have anyone else. I think everything else is pretty good from a rotational mm -hmm. standpoint or, or at minimum, they just don't have a better option. But I think those three are ones that I think, and especially as the season goes along, like, you know what you have in Deguara, you know what you have in Dylan, you know what you have in Justin Hollins. I think in Igbar, you still want to see play, but like, those are three players right there that you kind of know what you have. And now like, let's see what you have in Kraft. Let's see what you have in Sims. Let's see what you have in LVN. You know, let's see, you know, overall, you know, if you can get some younger players on the field. So I'm, I'm with you hundred percent in lockstep. Um, last but not least, I may have helped perpetrate uh, a little bit of the idea of maybe uh, Packers looking at Cam Akers. Mm -hmm. um, before I go over my thoughts on it, your thoughts on uh, Green Bay potentially looking at at Cam Akers and, and maybe making a swap at running back. I mean, you know, we we hear about in sports all the time the the, the change of scenery, and I guess you know, obviously you hope that that aspect of it helps, but I think if the Packers were looking into that, you know, kind of going back to what I was touching on before, just he at least brings a little bit more uh, playmaking ability. You know, I, I've looked up these numbers at pro football focus, him and Dylan, I think actually had like the same exact amount of rushing attempts last season, 185 apiece. Uh, Cam Akers was able to force, I think it was 16 more tackles by pro football focuses count. And again, going back to just Dylan struggling in that capacity, uh, the offensive line struggling from a blocking standpoint. Anytime you can add even a little bit more of that to your offense, that's obviously going to be a good thing and help specifically with what the Packers are struggling with right now. But with that said, I don't know that it would actually be an upgrade. It's a hundred percent just a would be just a swing in the dark where both teams are hoping that you know that they can get the most out of the individual that the other team wasn't able to do. But you know that's the one part that stood out to me that. Uh, made me sit, made me think about why the Packers might make that decision. Yeah, so I, I tweeted it out and I, you know, did the whole like whispers. I think maybe a Dylan mm -hmm. for for Acres trade might actually make some sense. So to bring you through the thought process, everyone that's listening. So my like obviously Acres we know is on the trade block. We know Dylan's been struggling a bit, and my immediate mind is like, all right, does it even make sense from a contractual? And I look at the contracts and they're like the same. Like it's an easy swap contractually they're both in the last year of their deals mm -hmm. they're both high picks they're both not having a ton of confidence in vision right now they're just not seeing the field great and it is one of those classic like hey the guy's not working for us right now this guy's not working for you they're both probably you know nfl caliber backs like maybe we just swap them we each get a different look at it see if they maybe fit in our system better maybe one of us gets a win out of it maybe we don't we end up releasing them so be it whatever the case may be that was my thought process. And then I also looked at PFF just really quick because obviously I've watched all of Dylan, but I didn't know Akers and Akers grades were pretty good. He had, a, he had like an 80 plus grade in yep. 2022 from them, I think. And like you mentioned, had some forced missed tackles and has a little bit more receiving chops out of the backfield. So that, that, that was literally my research. The contract makes sense. They're both in a bad spot right now. One of the team is literally trying to trade one of them and being Cam Akers. We saw Green Bay be interested in a running back prior to the start of uh, the regular season going after Jonathan Taylor, not saying Jonathan Taylor and Cam Akers are in the same breath, but they're still looking at maybe potential running backs. And so that's where my mind went. And then I posted it and then I thought about it more. I'm like, well, maybe I should go and actually watch Cam Akers. So I went, there's only like, I don't know, 28 runs that he's had this year, something like that. So I went and watched every run of those 28. Now I will say probably the most dynamic run that either Dylan or Akers had was by Cam Akers. And he had it in the, in week one and he bounced around to the outside. And I was like, well, AJ Dylan can't do that. Like not the way that Cam Akers did at least, but um, there wasn't a ton of juice there left. Like it wasn't the Cam Akers that we remember. Mm -hmm. And it really did. It felt like this would literally just be a change of scenery. And I think one of the things that I have to even remind myself of, of sometimes is it's really hard not to be a prisoner of the moment. In the last two, like the only thing that we are really basing the majority of this off of is AJ Dillon for the past two weeks. And somebody actually posted it on my timeline. And it was a great reminder of like my own grades, my own grades, like in the past couple of seasons on a grade per play and on like, and how many games he graded in the positive AJ Dillon graded out very well. And I know a lot of that's pass protection and some of it's blocked up stuff and he's not the most dynamic player in the world, but I will argue very much 
that the AJ Dillon we've seen over the past two weeks is not the AJ Dillon we've seen for the majority of the past three seasons in Green Bay. And there is a ceiling to that. It's never going to be the most dynamic player in the world, but he's been a pretty good back in Green Bay for the past three seasons. So I'm more the moral of the story. I came out of it thinking, let's give AJ a few more weeks to see if he can bust out of this slump a little bit to see if he can kind of get going. The run blocking hasn't been great. We're two weeks into the season. There's a lot of season left. And I think I'm more on the, let's give this a little bit more time. And also you've got a, a guy in Emmanuel Wilson. You've got a Patrick Taylor. You can, you can supplant some of those Dylan snaps right now if need be while you see if he does break out of that slump a little bit. So not super high in it, but that was my thinking as I kind of tweeted at myself throughout the course of the day. One other comment I want to make on Dylan, Matt LaFleur mentioned on Monday that from a schematic standpoint, they need to reevaluate what they're asking him to do. And there's, you know, there's a two sides of that. Is it because he's not, he's not executing on what they're asking him to do, but is that Dylan or is that just, they're trying to implement, you know, they, cause they got a, a very different group of players on offense this season, as we know. So is it trying to balance all of that and then you know, fit Dylan in where they can versus tailoring what he does well to the system that they're trying to, to build this offense into and what they're trying to accomplish in that capacity. So just something to, to keep our eyes on moving forward. And I thought that that was an interesting comment from Mount floor. Yeah. And I, something I was a little bit disappointed. I don't know if it would have mattered because they couldn't block anyone anyway, but like, I didn't feel like they did Dylan too many favors with like, I thought they would have a, a game plan more tailored to him in week two. I can understand mm-hmm. it in other weeks where Jones is the guy and Dylan has to fill in where he can, but like, I thought they would have a more tailored Dylan plan in week two. And I didn't really think that they did. And it was something I mentioned, uh, I think it was last week is that, you know, at, at some point, they've made the comments in the past of the great thing about AJ Dillon is they can ask him to run all the same things that Aaron Jones does. And I think that just has to be over with. I don't think that's the case anymore. I think they need different game plans and different options for when Dillon is in the game and when Jones is in the game, because I think too much of what Dillon does is like a C minus D plus of what Aaron Jones does. And you have to start asking like, what are the things that are B plus for AJ Dillon and start running some of that stuff? Because I don't think they've done a great job of that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Paul, you are absolutely fantastic. Uh, tell our amazing listeners, both at Packers Wire and here on Packaday, where they can find your work and what you've been working on. I appreciate it, Andy. Follow me on Twitter at Paul underscore Brettel. As Andy said, follow, find all my work over at Packers Wire. You can find me on YouTube as well. Got my own channel. Just my name, Paul Brettel, B R E T L. Uh, got a couple different articles out recapping the Packers Falcons game. And then uh, wrote about Matt LaFleur's comments on the run game, as we discussed here today. And we'll have more coming out this week as we look ahead to New Orleans. I got to stop doing that. I think everyone that I have on has their own YouTube channel. And I'm, I'm just promoting all you guys to take all of them. I'm just kidding. You got you do amazing work. And uh, definitely go check out Paul's channel. Um, he is absolutely crushing it over there. And I think one of the really cool things about the, the Packers fear is that there's uh, enough thirst for everyone. And uh, mm-hmm. Packers fans, their thirst is never quenched. And uh, that's what is amazing about all the content that's out there is um, it's all amazing. And I, I wish I had more time in the day to get everyone's stuff because it's all so freaking good. So Paul, keep up the amazing work. You can find me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. You can follow the podcast at Packaday Podcast. That's going to do it for Paul and I. We will be here next week, hopefully talking about your two-in-one Green Bay Packers. You can find me tomorrow on uh, Packaday Podcast and, of course, Paul over at Packers Wire. Thanks for listening. See you next time. And until next time, and as always, go Pack Go.